0: You're listening to the Rural Advancement Podcast. Rural Advancement provides resources to empower, equip, and encourage rural pastors and churches. Join our community by visiting us at ruraladvancement.com.
1: Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Rural Advancement. This is the podcast that is by rural leaders and for rural leaders. It is our goal, as we say week in and week out, to bring you content from people who are not just speaking to the rural context, but are from the rural context to understand the struggles as well as the successes, who understand uh, not just how to build the kingdom, but specifically how to build the kingdom in a small place. And so if you find yourself as a pastor or staff pastor or volunteer or Sunday school teacher, we hope that you are tuning in and hearing stuff that's going to help you build God's kingdom right where you're at. Uh, as we finish up the uh, the calendar year here, we have a couple of podcasts that I'm excited to do. Uh, one of them is Today's, and a lot of these, I, I it's not necessarily that I, you know, we do a lot of series work on this show, and yet this is really just standalone episodes where we have found some people with nuggets of wisdom, and we're really excited to dive into what those nuggets are. And so today, we uh, get the chance to talk to Pastor Paul Richardson, who is from Licking, you heard me right, Licking, Missouri, great in town name, and uh, he's just going to jump on here and chat with us about Um, you know, kind of what it looks like to embrace the process in ministry. And so I'm so excited to get to chat with him. I'm your host, Joe Epley. And the first thing I want to say is, uh, Pastor Paul, how are you doing, man?
0: Man, I'm great to be here. Thanks for having me, Joe.
1: Absolutely. Well, I want to dive into these questions. And the first one we always ask people every time, because, again, we really champion rural voices, people who are at least connected to the rural church. Share with us your background in ministry and your connection with the rural church.
0: Yeah, so this is the point where every rural person always does a "how rural are you" segment. It seems like mm-hmm. we always have to prove that we are actually
1: rural. So it's true. There's real credibility here. It's on the line. Yeah, it so. is. <laughs> it, it's
0: on the line. Well, I uh, grew up in a town of 200 people right along the Missouri Arkansas border, uh, called Koskinong, Missouri. Graduating class of 28 people. Uh, it's the it's the definition of podunk, which is a Greek word oh, nice. that means Dollar General doesn't even want to come here. Uh, my Gosh, hometown is good. so small. My hometown is so small that they had to petition Dollar General to come in. Uh, wow, long after I left. So
1: usually Dollar General doesn't even ask; they just show up, storm the show town up capital, and, and go for it.
0: They had to petition to get Dollar General to show up. It's that small <laughs> of a town. So you know, so I'm a very small town. I presently live in a town called Licking, Missouri. It's a true story. I didn't name it. So don't blame me does, yes. uh, named after, a deer <laughs> lick after mineral deposits. Um, oh, there you go. So the town I live in is about 3,100 people. But once again, I have to clarify, there's a maximum security prison in town. That's half the population. So we're oh, kind we of go. about 1,500. Uh, it's the only town my wife and I have ever lived in that has a stoplight. So we are moving on up. So uh, very rural in nature, man. I've got all the credentials, I promise you.
1: I love that. And how long have you been a pastor in uh, Licking, Missouri?
0: Sure. Uh, 12 years. This is my first and only pastorate. Uh, wife and I started in our mid-20s, so now we're late 30s now, and uh, it's been a great experience so far.
1: Awesome. I love that. And uh, and yeah, and, and it's true, you know, and I, I know that we do it every time, but I will never not value it because there's something about being rural where you, you have to own it, and you have to own it like this is who you are and where you come from. Because again, if we're going to speak to this situation, uh, there's a bit of a, you know, there's, I I came from a town that was larger than rural and, uh, and coming to a small town for the last eight years, uh, there was definitely people who looked at me and said, so what do you got to say and where you're from? You know, and it just really, I mean, it just really meant a lot to him. And, and so we always ask that because again, uh, we value your experiences and the lens through which you see the world. So uh, when I asked you, you know, just timing in our questions, when I asked you for a quote or principle that has really driven you for the last 12 years in ministry. You used the phrase, you know, embrace the process. Right. I kind of want to maybe talk about like how that developed to maybe talk about your own context or, or sorry, educational journey or uh, even mentoring second career pastors, some of that stuff that we brought up over the phone. But but I would love to maybe how did that develop that whole embrace the process?
0: I don't remember the first time that I used the phrase embrace the process, but it's become the phrase that I use, especially when I'm working with my own leaders or my own staff or those that reminds them that there is a lot that goes on between calling and you might say destination. So, for sure. example, you know, I took, over a, I took over a Revite church before we knew what a Revite was. And before it was all cool and everything else there was a church about 20 people in a small town, very old congregation with a pretty poor building. And, um, you know, over the years, we have seen God do amazing things. Now we average a little over 200 on Sunday morning in a pretty modern facility and all those things. But while while we definitely had goals that we wanted to meet. It never was about the goal so much as it was the process of getting there. It's about Mm. who you are and who you're becoming in the midst of it. That really is what this Christian life is about. It's what ministry and calling is about. We often focus on the goals. And I'll be honest, Joe, a lot of the goals that I originally wrote down 12 years ago, we've completed and exceeded. Whether it's become a sovereign church, whether it was to have uh, a deacon board or good deacons, whether it's have some staff, a new building. We've met all those goals. And it's easy to look back and be going, well, what's next? But it's really not sure. so much about meeting goals as it is embracing the process and becoming the men and women of God that we are called to be. And mm. so, you know, for me, you know, I didn't go I didn't go right to Bible college. I became a pastor yeah. with credentials. And since then I have finished a bachelor's, a master's. I'm finishing a master of divinity right now. And I just applied awesome. for a PhD program today. You know, and it's Oh wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so you know, it's but it's taken me 15 years to do this. Sure. But it's about the process, about learning in the midst. And I encourage people to notice who are you becoming and what is God doing in your life now? I know you have goals and I know you have dreams, but who are you becoming in this process as you work out this calling? And I think where this is really important for I want to say normal sized churches, not small, sure, normal sure, size, sure, sure, 200 sure. or less. Sure. it's really important is We're being taught the importance of systems, the automization of various aspects of church life. So, for example, we would love to be able to automatize and automate discipleship. We would love to be able to, you know, someone says they have a call from God. We would love to be able to program or put them into a system, a program that over time we have this end result.
1: Yeah, and, and it would be a highly is. developed, discipled, ready to rock. Yeah. You, know, you know, all all the boxes checked. Sure, it would be it would be a pipe dream. We, you know? we would love to
0: We would love to be able to do that. And for people like myself in a lead pastoral role with minimal staff, the the more hands off we can be, the better off we are. But right. the reality is is that we're not called to so much systems where it's hands off, but processes that are very hands on. Mm. discipleship is always hands-on perfecting someone's calling or working out their calling is always hands-on mentoring discipleship we have to be hands-on in a process and it's about who we're becoming in those moments added together and not just the end result so for example I noticed uh, you know you and I are looking at zoom and I noticed that you have two guitars in the background
1: yeah I do yeah
0: so for me I'm I'm a trained pianist and so I started at a very young age with the scales the arpeggios, sure, those, yeah. those basic foundations of music. And so I learned how to play piano that way. As an adult, I decided I want to learn how to play guitar. So I sure. bought guitars and I bought gear because they're just fun to, and cool to look oh, at. Absolutely.
1: Yeah, you could, cool. you could buy as much gear as you wanted, you know?
0: <laughs> oh, yeah. And, you know, when you're a piano player, you can only own really one piano at a time in a house. Uh, that's you can pretty have true. That's everywhere. <laughs> but the difference between me learning piano and me learning guitar, I think, is that piano i learned it as a process step by step scale by scale note by note as an adult i wanted to skip all of that kind of stuff to learn how to play guitar right because i didn't want to have to learn scales again i didn't want to have to learn arpeggios. and try absolutely and so you know what i'm not a very good guitar player (laughs) i wanted to systematize just to buy a system pay the money and be able to have the results but yeah. I can't have the same results unless I embrace the process of actually learning the instrument.
1: Wow, what so a often,
0: yeah. So often, as pastors, we want to um, automate disciples or mentees or whatever. We want to do that and be as hands off as possible. And the reality is, is that it's always meant to be hands on. So when I say embrace the process, I'm I'm reminding people and telling them there's more to this than you see or realize. And there's lessons to be learned that unless you learn them now, you will not move on to the next step.
1: Right. And and I mean, taking it from that music example to pastoring, like the pastor skips the scales and the basics and the fundamentals, then suddenly you, you I I feel like at least you get a lot of these stories where you've got pastors burning out, blowing up, you know, churches all in shambles and their lives all in shambles because they never let the process do its work.
0: Yeah. And honestly, that's a great segue to the next question you have about Eugene Peterson and the book Working the Angles. Yes.
1: So so uh, from what I understood is uh, myself and Pastor Paul here, we both share an affinity for the works of Eugene Peterson. Now, I've only gotten to read probably one and a half of his works, um, but uh, but you were mentioning a book called Working the Angles by Eugene Peterson. And just for the sake of it, we're going to put this in the show notes because it's always great to throw that that resource out there. Um, but you talked about it, that it kind of speaks into this process in your life. So maybe share some of your main takeaways from that book.
0: Yeah. So I have a love-hate relationship with Eugene Peterson. I want to hate <laughs> the guy. Um, I want sure. to just be like, no, we, we can't. But when I read him, there's, there's a certain depth that captivates me. And, Absolutely. Uh, so, so I just read his book, Working the Angles, and the, the subtitle is The Shape of Pastoral Integrity. And essentially –
1: Actually, I about, already get scared just by the title, like just that tagline. I'm like, I'm not ready for this book. Like, I can't. Oh remember. no!
0: I read the introduction to the book, and and I was so offended within the first paragraph. I like through the book. And I'm like, <laughs> uh, an off, off video. Well, I'll I'll read it to you um, later on. Sure, but he's sure. talking about how there's visible aspects of pastoral ministry, and those are the things we work on. He uses the three phrases of preaching, teaching, and administration. Sure, I would dare say that today. Um, we might change some of that from preaching to maybe vision casting, um, sure. mission statements, those things. He talks about those are the visible lines of ministry. That is what everybody looks at. But it's the angles, he says. That's his metaphor. The angles. So imagine a triangle and then one line is preaching, one line is teaching, one line is administration. But if sure. the angles are wrong, you don't have a true triangle. Oh, sure. And so the angles he mentions are prayer, scripture. And spiritual direction, huh. all three, which are very, very necessary and important. But uh, in relation to today's topic, embracing the process, it's about what's happening in these mundane moments. He mentions that in his last section, which is about spiritual direction, which is a phrase that's not used very often in my particular ministry tradition. Sure, but uh, he is calling spiritual um, spiritual direction. Uh, he's saying, you know, it's something where a pastor or or another spiritual leader helps a person see God in the midst of the everyday and the mundane. Mm. And the reality of it is, is that we used to call that like pastoral care or pastoral shepherding. Sure, but we we don't do a, a great job today, in my opinion, teaching this pastoral care side of ministry. Great at leadership, great administration, communicating. And those are all very important.
1: Right. And we've built churches on those principles, really. I mean, a lot of the large churches, you look at that and they, they do emphasize communicating, yeah. CEO style leadership, all these all these skills that help churches get really, really big. And, and a lot of that's yeah. fine, you know, but there are some areas, like you said, I mean, continue on. So,
0: yeah. So, um, you know, and so for someone... In this particular podcast, who's going to be pastoring a normal-sized church, which is less than two hundred, many would be uh, co- vocational or the only full-time staff. I'm the only full-time staff of a church of even sure, two hundred. Yep. You well, know? and so when someone is listening to this and they're like, "Why should I be concerned about pastoral ministry, shepherding, spiritual direction, whatever phrase we want to use?" Sure, it's the reality of that in a smallish church we have the opportunity that doesn't happen in larger churches and the opportunity is is that i can know and be known by my people they can know my name and i can know their name and i can know what car they drive and i can know the name of their dog but i also can know when things are not right or when things are not well or when things are not healthy And we as pastors have this great opportunity to come alongside people and help them to see where God is at in the midst of their journey and in the midst of this process. And so this is an idea that's been in church history for for centuries and centuries. Eugene Peterson is the one kind of introducing it to me at this moment. But it's it's helping people believe that God is always doing something. Uh, Number two. Peterson says it's helping people realize that responding to God is not sheer guesswork. That there's a tradition mm, and there's scripture really that we that can actually. use. That one. And then number three, uh, we as pastors can help people realize that each soul is unique. And this goes back to the process idea. When you try to automate disciples or mentor people uniformly, we miss the uniqueness and the creativity of God. Right. And right. so for us as normal-sized pastors. We have this great opportunity to treat people as the unique uh, beings uh, that God's created them to be. And that's a beautiful thing. If we will take long enough to notice, one, two, if we'll be still long enough to be able to pay attention, and three, if we'll realize that ultimately we're here to build people, not systems or just fancy organizations. You know, I'm all for those things. But first and foremost, um, the kingdom of God is, is people, not facilities. And so realizing that we have permission to invest in people and helping them embrace the process that God has them in, that right there is, is a beautiful thing for pastoral
1: ministry. Yeah, no, that's huge. And honestly, like, even, even as we're talking, a lot of this jives with, uh, with my own spirit as well, because uh one of the things that, that I think has been a, a shared frustration, and, and probably actually is why I ended up being led to Eugene Peterson's work in the first place, is because uh the man really refused uh to to automate. He really refused to say, Hey, uh, we're just gonna mass produce this. He said, People are people, and you have to just deal with people as people, and you can't yeah. you can't just make disciples hundred at a time. It was one person and one person and one person and just people reaching others who then grew and turned into their own callings and like that, it sounds, I, I hate trying to pitch discipleship to people because it's not new and it's not attractive. Like it's just this age old process of like one by one, they became more like Jesus and it's bonkers, you know?
0: That's absolutely true. And there is this great temptation to try to expedite the process but of when course, you we all want all more leaders effect.
1: and we all want more success and we all want more growth, you yeah. know, for sure.
0: Yeah, but some processes, when hurried, it ruins it. And I think we have to be careful. And so that's kind of where people like a, a Eugene Peterson or a Dallas Willard or someone like that is really helpful for someone like me who's goal goal driven and you know, yeah uh pushing through. Peterson has a phrase like that, he calls that being um um like being like a Roman where you just want to go in and conquer and um slay. And call everything. it peace. Yeah. Yeah. And call it peace. Exactly. It's yeah, hard you're to yeah,
1: it's exactly. It's the Romans, they said they would burn down the town, everyone would be dead, and they would say, Well, we brought peace to this village. Well, sure, but everyone's dead. And uh, well, hey, let's uh let's keep going. We could get off. I love I love this conversation I really think uh, I love your insights. But uh so obviously part of embracing the process is then raising up other leaders around you, because again People are developing into into people who follow God, people who look like God, and eventually like people who are called by God and living in that calling. And so some people tend to find developing talent. And I wouldn't say if I ever asked someone point blank, um, you know, if I asked if I walked up to a pastor and said, hey, are you threatened by people around you being empowered or talented or rising to the service? Of course, we'd all say, well, no, 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 not a chance. But in practice, like when someone is the up and comer, when someone has this magnificent call, when we are called to shepherd people who might even have uh, numerical reaches greater than our own or destinations that feel in our worldly context, even greater than our own, like, how do you cultivate that positive atmosphere, right? Because a lot of people cultivate a negative atmosphere. So how do you create a positive leadership development atmosphere?
0: I think there's several key components that are necessary to do that healthy and well. First of all, many of our systems where our churches are organized uh, do not lend well to a multitude of leaders. So for example, if you live, if you're in a church where they vote on you every few years, it's very hard to turn loose and to empower other people. Um, right. If you live in a part of the country that unfortunately rural is kind of like this, that if someone gets mad, they can just go plant their own church. That is heartbreaking, but it's also a reality. So I think sure. a lot of people I think most pastors started off really wanting to invest in others, but people do uh, peopley things, which is a phrase I use around sure. here. And when people do peopley things, they end up hurting pastors. And so by the time you have a mature pastor in a normal sized church, they probably had a lot of people they invested in that hurt them the most. Oh, wow. And so, so a few things that a person has to do is one, um, realize that, you know what, this is the Lord's kingdom and this is the Lord's church. It's not mine. That's easier to say than it is to do in practice. You know, number two, being secure in your calling that you're called there and that you're, you're committed to that place really helps. And then, you know, number three, just realize that, um, you know, we as churches, we're not meant to be like repositories holding on to all the talent, but we're designed to to equip and empower and release. And so if it's your idea to release them out and about to go do ministry, if it feels like your idea first, that feels so much better than intending to keep everybody. And then, Hey pastor, I'm going to take a church wherever. And so um, it really starts with the pastor just being like, Hey, you know what? I'm in this for the kingdom, not just for my sake. Number two, you know what? I'm comfortable where I'm at. My, my church loves me. I love them. And I have a polity in place that allows me to, to empower others without the threat of me losing my job. yeah. Because uh, I think a lot of people would empower others more frequently if they knew that that person wouldn't take their job and take their role.
1: Yeah, for sure. For sure. Because there is a sense that where it becomes like if we have an insecurity to exploit or if our congregation has left a room for that insecurity to be exploited, then it is much harder. It's much harder to put that on the table and say, Oh, in good faith, I will do this. Because again, there's always that fear in the back of your mind, you know?
0: Yeah. And I think every pastor has an insecurity that can be exploited by the enemy without question, without doubts. And the enemy does it. And so I think being aware of that and constantly, constantly bringing that to the Lord in prayer and just being cognizant of it, just naming that emotion of like, oh, my, why am I insecure at this moment? Why? It doesn't matter if I'm the most talented person in the room or I'm the best piano player or I'm the best speaker or that that really matters. So why do we make it matter? And I think sure. we live in a celebrity culture that sure. we as rural pastors have bought into. But the reality is, is that the local church is not looking for a celebrity. They're looking for someone who will love them, who will be present, who will minister, who will put down roots. If we do those things, then, then we're fulfilling our commission.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, no, that's huge. And honestly, I think there's so much to be the mined there for the rural pastor who's sitting here going, yeah, I, I I, I want to, and yet there's, and and I think that that statement that you made about just pastors being hurt right around the time where they could start releasing and could start having enough fruit to offer somebody else suddenly, because I, I mean, even as you talked, even as you said that statement, I thought of three or four different pastors just in who, adjacent to my life or my knowledge where I'm like, oh man, yeah, just, just in my limited networks, like there's pastors I can think of already who, yeah, I would have loved to see them give and grow and push out. And yet there was that fear and that instability yeah. and that, that insecurity,
0: man, that's huge. And the reality of it is, is that you will be hurt. Yeah. I mean, it, it's just part yeah. of it. And I, I think we tried to, I mean, obviously we try to defend and protect ourselves,
1: Sure, but
0: if you are in the ministry, you will yeah. be hurt.
1: And you yeah, will and be that's, hurt that's kind of just, that's part of the trappings, you know, like that's, I, I, I definitely tell people, I'm like, this is like, like, yeah, you know, there's been moments where maybe the the accusations of abandonment from people, or just all the hurtful things that that people can do to to pastors, and you look at it and you are hurt, but you also recognize yeah. you're like, yeah, but but would I really rather do ministry any other way? Like, if my heart's not in it, then and and out there and vulnerable than like, but it's it's not, it's just not worth it, man. That's good. Again, I have a, Yeah, we
0: have to make sure that that hurt doesn't become part of our identity. So many people allow the hurt to get deep enough. To affect our identity and we we can't let it get that deep.
1: yeah i uh i'm getting the feeling even it's just short podcast that you're probably at some point going to be brought back because i love our conversation and i'm definitely uh mm-hmm. loving the tone of things and i have a feeling that we will dive back into more conversations at a later date but i do want to sure. ask one more question on this topic today yeah. um so can you take some time and share with us moments Because obviously uh, a lot of people will ask, well, great, embrace the process, but why does that matter? Why is that so important? And so nowhere does that show more than in the results. So maybe can you, you know, obviously without sharing details, but can you give us moments where someone embraced the process and how that really did turn out well for them? Or maybe you have some moments where people didn't embrace the process, tried to take those shortcuts or whatever, and how that affected them negatively. And so why is it just so important to try and embrace this, you know?
0: Yeah, so I mean, four or five people come to my mind. And I think and I truly sure believe that every person, myself included, when especially in ministry, once you kind of push into ministry just a little bit, okay, whether it's youth pastoring, kids pastoring, senior pastoring, sure, sure. They will reach a point uh, in in that moment where growth is required. And in sure. those moments, it might be correction that's needed or challenging or maybe the, the, the beautiful facade is pulled off and the, the harsh reality of what ministry looks like shows up. Every person reaches this crisis moment. It's the first of many crisis moments, but it's this first one initially. And I've seen it several times in people's lives where I will look them in the face and I say, hey, you know what, you're at a very de- decisive moment in ministry you can either um, push through and focus on being the person of God that you're being called to be. You can embrace this challenge in front of you. And if you do, you're going to come on the other side and you're going to have grown through it or you can quit. And you're at a decision moment. If you push through, if you embrace what God is trying to teach you and show you, if you can deal with your frustrations and deal with your anger, if you can deal with this, these moments where it just seems like God is silent or plans are delayed. Delayed plans is the biggest key. I think for most of us, if you can push through this moment, when you get on the other side, whether that's in days, weeks, a month or a year, you'll find out that you learn so much in this moment. If however, you reach this point, this wall and you decide, you know what I'm done and you walk away. If you come back again, you'll have to relearn those same lessons. And so I've seen this in several people's lives and it's, It's a process, it's a test of the heart. It isn't so much about skills. It's not about, you know, hey, can you get your preaching down from 50 minutes to 25 or sure, sure. Or can you be more clear in vision casting? It's a matter of the heart and character. And are we are we in this ministry because we're called? or because we're driven. That's some John Piper language. I'm throwing out all these sure, kind of sure. yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. wild people that Pentecostals like me don't read, but apparently I read that one. Oh
1: no, yeah. no, no. The, the, the tradition um, is rich. I mean, you got, you got so no, many good options John, for the I, theologians.
0: John Piper and Gordon McDonald is actually the best one who uses this called versus driven language. Sure. Um, I'm, not, I'm not sure if you read any Gordon McDonald, but you
1: know, I have not the call driven thing. I'm actually not familiar with. I'm excited for you to break it down. So.
0: Maybe another podcast because he does it. So <laughs> That's fantastic. true. It's, probably, but long. it's essentially, probably long. Essentially driven, people are driven to do all kinds of things. They're driven to start businesses, sure. they're driven to go reach degrees. They're driven to sure. master this skill. But when that drivenness stops and then they move on to something else, they were driven. They're, they're pushing. Where calling is is, it's a sense of that God has me placed here for a reason. And whether I want to or not, whether... I'm motivated or not. I want to do this because God has called me. And Mm. so it's really the impetus. If I'm driven, it's me pushing. If it's called, it's God pulling. And there's a big Mm. difference. And when times get hard, we have to discover, am I driven or am I called? Because there's been many opportunities in in my ministry here in 12 years where I had to stop. I'm like, okay, it's hard now. Am I going to stay because I'm called or am I going to leave because I'm driven? Oh, wow. And that's part of the process. That's Gordon McDonald's, some of Gordon McDonald's writing. Um, That's part of embracing the process. Are you driven or are you called? Because if you are called, then you will stay even when it's hard. If you are called, you will stay even when the results do not look like what you had put on your five year plan. If you are called, you will love people when they hurt you. If you're driven, however, you will start making decisions and directions and you'll start doing things that reflects more of your sinful nature and not Jesus's nature. Sure.
1: Yeah, no, that's huge. And honestly, I love that answer to that because again uh, it's important because that's, that's how God set it up. Right. I mean, like God was so concerned about the heart of the nation of Israel that he was willing to let them wander a desert for 40 years, work through a whole generation When people like I've had people because I've worked in youth ministry predominantly most of my ministry career and you get teenagers who are like, well, the Lord would never push me that hard. I'm like, man, I don't know. Like the Lord has been known to I mean, doesn't tempt us to sin, but he pushes us into really tough situations that do. I mean, you know, what's the the famous Hebrew scripture where it says, you know, the word of God divides even soul from spirit. I mean, it's so exact in the way it punishingly, lovingly and momentously like, you know, invades our lives and forces us to make these tough calls. That is yeah. huge. Cool. Well, Hey, this has been a great conversation. Like I said, the more I talk to you, the more I'm like, man, we're definitely like, this is, you know, you can guarantee 2023 will include some Paul Richardson podcasts because I'm excited about it. Oh my. But um for today, uh, I just want to say, Paul, thank you again for being on here. I super appreciate it.
0: Man. I love being here. I wish we could have had much longer time, but I'm watching our time clock. Kick, kick down and, <laughs> and like, we we run through it. Man, thanks for having me. It's just a great Absolutely. podcast.
1: And so for all of our listeners, uh, once again, this is even a week of rural advancement. This is the podcast that is designed to bring you content that is not only spoken to where you're at and what you're doing, but also spoken by people who get it, people who are walking those same roads, those same journeys, those same struggles. And we are excited for you to check it out every week. We have a great podcast coming up next week and hopefully every week after. And again, we'll uh, have Pastor Paul back, I'm, I'm sure of that. And so, again, thank you for joining us. Check us out on Spotify, check us out on Apple Podcast or www.ruraladvancement.com. Give it a like, give it a follow, give it a review, give it a rating, give it to a friend. But just help us get the word out there. We're excited to do uh, and, and continue to hear about what the Lord's doing in a small place. And we'll see you next week.